Hey, welcome into Positive Light. We're bringing a positive influence into this world and into your life. And hi, I'm Bob Miles. And today's subject is going to be, where is your heart today? Your heart is where your time and your money are. The heart provides the oxygen and nutrients that our bodies need to survive. A heart that is healthy pumps the right amount of blood at a rate that allows the human body to function as God created. So I think it's safe to say that the human heart is one of the most important organs God has placed within our bodies. So what kind of heart is God looking for? Deuteronomy 10:16 says, God needs a circumcised heart. We must therefore open our hearts to God by removing all our reservations, covering secrets and unbelief. Only when we circumcise our hearts can we be obedient and walk in the ways of the Lord. And Matthew 16:21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Rick Warren writes, Your heart is where your time and money are. It's simple, really. Your heart is wherever you put your money and time. For some of you, your heart is in your home because that is where you put your money. Maybe your heart is in your boat or your cabin or the sport you spend your time and money on. Wherever you put your money is where your heart is going to go. Do you want to get interested in a particular company? Buy some stock. From that moment you buy it, you'll be very interested in that company. But when your money, your treasure, isn't there, you will likely never think about that company. Where you spend your time also reveals your priorities. You say you love your kids, but do you spend time with your kids? No. Then you don't really love them the way you think you do. You can say you love to be in shape, but do you exercise? No. Then you don't really love being in shape. You can say you love Jesus, but if you don't spend any time with him, then you don't love him as much as you think you do. Here's how you know what's really important to someone. Look at their calendar and look at their bank statement. The way you spend your time and money shows what's really important to you. You can say, this is really important to me, but what you say in this case doesn't really matter. If you don't spend time on it and you don't spend money on it, then your heart isn't really there. When you give to God, guess where your heart goes? It turns toward Him and the things He loves. When you spend time with God, you become closer to Him as you know Him more. Giving God your time and money is an act of worship. It is a way you align your heart with His. Where is your heart today? Where do you want it to be? Decide where you want your heart to be and start investing your time and money there. Soon, you'll find a heart there too. The decisions you make with money will shape the person you're going to become. It pays to be careful what you do with your money. After all, the way you spend your money will set the direction of your heart. Where your treasure is today, your heart will follow tomorrow. We often think the things we do with our money demonstrate what's going on in our hearts. And this can often be true. But the relationship between your heart and your wallet isn't a one-way street. Just as your heart can influence the way you spend money, your financial choices can change the state of your heart. And that's a power worth taking note of. Part of my research today comes out of Matthew 6, 19-21. It says, Do not store up yourselves treasure on earth with moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. At the most basic level, when Jesus is saying is pretty simple. As we go through this life, we can spend our time working to accumulate things that are valuable here on earth. Or we can spend our time working to achieve things that are valuable in heaven. Earthly treasures can quickly fade, and they have no value in the afterlife. We can't take our possessions with us when we die. So Jesus encouraged us to seek things that have eternal value. With that concept in mind, let's take a closer look at the final sentence of this passage. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We often interpret this sentence to mean that the way we spend our money is evidence of the condition of our heart. And while this is often the case, I don't think that's precisely what Jesus is saying here. Where your treasure is now, your heart will follow in the future. Looking carefully at the sentence construction, we see verbs in two different tenses. Where your treasure is, present tense, there, are, there your heart will be, future tense. Where your treasure is now, your heart will follow in the future. In other words, the things that we do with our money shape the direction of our hearts. Jesus isn't really concerned with the treasure here. He's concerned with the state of our hearts. He understands that our treasure lead our hearts. He wants our hearts pointed toward heaven and not towards earth. So he instructs us to store up heavenly treasures so our hearts will follow in the right direction. So what does this mean for you? It means the choices you make about money matter. Each time you choose to pursue one kind of treasure or another, you gently nudge your heart in the direction of the priority you've chosen. Every time you spend a dollar, you focus your heart a bit on the thing that you're purchasing with that money. If you use your resources to the advancement of God's kingdom, you'll find your heart becomes more attached to his work. But the more treasure you direct toward your own desires, the more those desires will grow to consume your heart. This teaching has powerful implications for those of us who want to live connected to God's heart. If you want to see your passion stirred up toward his kingdom, invest financially in his work. If you want to grow a heart for mission, give to support missionaries. If you want to become more compassionate toward the poor, you give more to the poor. We don't become great givers because we're generous. We become generous because we chose to be great givers. And if we want to grow spiritually, we must invest in God's kingdom first. Getting your heart and financial life in the line with God's plan is a journey you take one step at a time. And like a journey, you'll go farther and faster if you're walking with friends. So next, I'm going to kind of read you a story, and it's called Acres of Diamonds by Russell Conwell. Over a century ago, Russell Cromwell was famous for his traveling lecture in which he encouraged listeners to find the acres of diamonds in their own backyards. He was born in Massachusetts in 1843 and during the Civil War served as captain in the Union Army. He studied law but became a Baptist minister and a popular public speaker. Acres of Diamonds was his most famous talk which he delivered over 6,000 times, making him one of the original motivational speakers. At the heart of the Acres of Diamonds was a parable Conwell heard while traveling through present-day Iraq in 1870, and in summary it goes like this. There once was a wealthy man named Ali Hafed, who lived not far from the river Indus. He was content because he was wealthy, and wealthy because he was content. One day, a priest visited Ali Hafed and told him about diamonds. 
Ali Hafid heard all about diamonds, how much they were worth, and went to his bed that night a poor man. He had not lost anything, but he was poor because he was discontented and discontented because he feared he was poor. Ali Hafid sold his farm, left his family, and traveled to the Palestine and then to Europe searching for diamonds. He did not find them. His health and his wealth failed him. Dejected, he cast himself into the sea. One day, the man who had purchased Ali Hafid's farm found a curious sparkling stone in a stream that cut through his land. It was a diamond. Digging produced more diamonds, acres of diamonds, in fact. This, according to the parable, was the discovery of the famed diamonds of Golconda. The point of the story is that we often dream of fortunes to be made elsewhere. We ought instead to be open to the opportunities that are around us. He illustrates the concept that several other stories, including that of the discovery of gold in California. Another is a farmer in Pennsylvania sold his farm for $833 and went to work for his cousin in Canada collecting oil. Shortly after, the man who purchased the farm found oil worth millions of dollars. Now, I'm not suggesting you physically go and start digging up your backyard, as this is a story. So how can you find the acres of diamonds in your own backyard? Well, one, maintain a ready mind. Be open to the possibilities around you. Don't let preconceived notions cloud your judgment. We often overlook the value of something because we believe we already know it. And number two, look at the familiar in new ways. Conwell lists some important inventions that snap button, the cotton jid, the mowing machine, and notes that they were created by everyday people who found new approaches and new uses for commonplace objects. And number three, learn what people want, then give it to them. Discover a market and then provide a good or service. To many people to do this the other way around. They develop a good or a service and then try to market it. Try to manufacture desire. You'll have more success if you see a desire and then try to meet it. And number four, knowledge is more important than capital. Lack of capital is a common excuse for not starting a business venture. How often have you heard, you need money to make money? Nonsense, says Conwell. He gives antidotes of wealthy people who started with nothing but had an idea. And number five, don't put yourself down and don't belittle your environment. Don't compare yourself with others. Believe in the great opportunities that are right here, not over in New York or Boston, but here. For business, for everything that is worth living for on earth, there, is, there was never an opportunity greater. Find the best in what's around you. So are you one of those people who look for diamonds in faraway places? Is the grass really greener there? Is there an opportunity that has been in front of you all the time? Have you taken stock of your life lately? Perhaps there are diamonds sitting just outside your back door. In reading Acres of Diamonds, I'm also reminded of the biblical parable of the prodigal son, who was wiser because he at least had the common sense to return home and beg forgiveness. Your diamonds are n not in a faraway mountain or in a distant seas. They are usually in your own backyard, if you would just take time to look for them. How might you apply this story to your business or your life? We always think that the green grass is greener on the other side, but it is seldom that case. In what instances could the grass be greener on the other side? Ali Hafed had been standing on his own acres of diamonds until he sold his farm.
So next I'm going to introduce the song and it's called Morning Light by Tommy Walker. And here it is. Walking faith when I can't see in the morning light. In the morning light, I lift my eyes up to the mountains and wait on him to rescue me. In the morning light, in the morning light. Weeping may endure through the night But joy will come in the morning light yeah. The days are dark, the clouds have gathered But I'll hold on to my Savior in the morning light in the morning light Weeping may endure through the night But joy will come in the morning light The goodness of the Lord Joy will come in the morning light
Psalms 30 says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Psalms 27 says, I remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We all experience those dark nights, but God promises His joy will come again. His joy will come in the morning. The light will come. The pain will pass. His joy will rise in the morning light. In the morning light. Hey, what a great song by Tommy Walker. And here's what Tommy said regarding this song. Morning Light was primarily inspired by Psalm 30. The truth of David's words here is very real to me. I've experienced many a night when I couldn't sleep and out of nowhere felt dark doubts and fears trying to overtake my mind. Then at last a morning would come and as I would read and meditate on God's word, I sensed his comfort and assurance streaming back into my heart. His joy truly did come to me in the morning. I think we all have also experienced seasons in life that felt like one long dark night. I'm so thankful for the promise of the other psalm in this song as well, Psalm 2713. David encouraged us with his own confidence that we too will see the goodness of the Lord in our lives again. Perhaps this was the confidence our Lord Jesus himself anchored his hope in when anticipating and enduring the cross. For he knew there was joy set before him. Joy was coming. He would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I pray that this song will bring hope, comfort, and confidence to those who are in great pain and hopelessness, whether in marriages, health, finances, or a time of waiting, feeling distant from God. You can believe you will all see his goodness again. And joy will come in the morning. I'm not sure how many times I've read, quoted, or listened to these teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. I'm guessing well over a hundred times at least, and yet, even with all those chances, I failed to grasp the point. I guess I'm just a slow learner. A couple of days ago, it finally hit me what Jesus was trying to teach, and since I might not be the only one missing the obvious, I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts on this scripture. You see, I always interpreted this scripture as meaning that if your heart was right, you would naturally use your treasure, money, time, and talents righteously. And yet, that is not what the scripture says at all. Jesus doesn't say that your treasure will follow your heart. He says that your heart will follow your treasure. The way to change your heart is not by trying to change your heart, but by learning control your treasure. Treasure clearly leads the way, and the heart follows. If you want to change your heart, move your treasure. Your treasure holds the key to your heart. If you doubt this principle, take a look at the way you spend your money or time last month. Did your spending match the priorities of your heart? If you are anything like me, probably not. Treasure has a mind of its own, and it will go its own way regardless of the desires of your heart. 
unless you watched it constantly. Your heart, on the other hand, is much more loyal and will eventually follow where your treasure leads. This is both frightening and encouraging. It is scary to think that our treasure is more powerful than our heart. We like to believe that our heart is in charge and that our treasure will follow its as it dictates, but this generally isn't true. This also gives hope because it provides a game plan for changing hearts. Heart changing is a tricky business and it's often difficult to even grasp where to begin. Controlling our treasure, on the other hand, is more straightforward. It takes a plan, a budget, and some discipline, but it is at least easy to identify what needs to be done. Simply pick what type of heart you want and then move your treasure in that direction. The promise is, is that your heart will follow. So let's talk about, with some examples, what type of heart do you desire? So if you want a selfish heart, spend your treasure on yourself. A materialistic heart, use your treasure to acquire shiny objects and possessions. Fearful heart, dwell on past failures and allow them to prevent you from trying new things. A heavy heart, focus on your problems and don't share your burdens with those who love you. A giving heart. Direct more of your treasure to helping others. Establish an account just for giving and move some of your treasure into it. A secure heart. Use some of your treasure to establish an emergency fund and save at least 10% for retirement. An educated heart. Make lifelong learning a priority and develop a plan to study a topic you want to learn more about. A happy heart. Spend your time and money in ways that promote happiness. These include building relationships, buying experiences, buying time, and investing in others. A serving heart. Use more of your money, time, and talents to serve the needs of others. A healthy heart. Spend money to buy healthy food and schedule time to regularly exercise. A soft or spiritual heart. Spend more of your time praying, pondering, meditating, and studying the scriptures. A compassionate heart. Look for those who are suffering and spend time and money to provide relief. A loving heart. Use your resources of time and money to build strong relationships with those you love. Plan meaningful activities and establish traditions to bind you together. A grateful heart. Spend t more time counting your blessings than counting your money. Keep a gratitude journal and express your gratitude to others. A humble heart. Realize that you cannot accomplish anything by yourself. Recognize your reliance on God and others and express gratitude for those who have helped you. And a hopeful heart. Recognize your problems but look to the future with faith and hope. Develop a plan to make things better. Remember, your treasure holds the key to your heart. Move your treasure and your heart will surely follow. So next I'm going to read you a story from God. It's called Ten Guidelines. And it's from God to all his children. Effective immediately, please be aware that there are changes you need to make in your life. These changes need to be completed in order that I may fulfill my promise to you to grant you peace, joy, and happiness in this life. I apologize for any inconvenience, but after all that I'm doing, this seems very little to ask of you. I know I already gave you Ten Commandments. Keep them, but follow these guidelines as well. Number one, quit worrying. Life has dealt you a blow and all you do is sit and worry. Have you forgotten that I am here to take all your burdens and carry them for you? 
or do you just enjoy fretting over every little thing that comes your way? Number two, put it on the list. Something needs to be done or taken care of, put it on the list. No, not your list, put it on my to-do list. Let me be the one to take care of the problem. I can't help you until you turn it over to me. And although my to-do list is long, I am, after all, God. I can take care of anything you put into my hands. In fact, if the truth were ever really known, I'd take care of a lot of things for you that you never even realize. Number three, trust me. Once you give your burdens to me, quit trying to take them back. Trust in me. Have the faith that I will take care of all your needs, your problems, and your trials. Problems with the kids? Put them on my list. Problem with finances? Put them on my list. Problems with your emotional roller coaster? For my sake, put it on my list. I want to help you. All you have to do is ask. And number four, leave it alone. Don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I'm feeling much stronger now. I think I can handle it from here. Why do you think you are feeling stronger now? It's simple. You gave me your burdens and I'm taking care of them. I also renew your strength and cover you in my peace. Don't you know that if I give you these problems back, you will be right back where you started? Leave them with me and forget about them. Just let me do my job. And number five, talk to me. I want you to forget a lot of things. Forget what, we, what was making you crazy. Forget the worry and the fretting because you know I'm in control. But there's one thing I want you to never forget. Please don't forget to talk to me often. I love you. I want to hear your voice. I want you to include me in the things going on in your life. I want to hear you talk about your, your friends and family. Prayer is simply you having conversation with me. I want to be your dearest friend. Number six, have faith. I see a lot of things from up here that you can't see from where you are. Have faith in me that I know what I'm doing. Trust me, you wouldn't want the view from my eyes. I will continue to care for you, watch over you, and meet your needs. You only have to trust me. Although I have a much bigger task than you, it seems as if you have so much trouble just doing your simple part, how hard can trust be? Number seven, share. You were taught to share when you were only two years old. When did you forget? That rule still applies. Share with those who are less fortunate than you. Share with your joy with those who need encouragement. Share your laughter with those who haven't heard any in such a long time. Share your tears with those who are mourning. Share your faith with those who have none. And number eight, be patient. I managed to fix it so in just one lifetime you could have so many diverse experiences. You've grown from a child to an adult, have children, change jobs many times, learn many trades, travel to so many places, meet thousands of people, and experience so much. How can you be so impatient then when it takes me a little longer than you expect to handle something on my to-do list? Trust in my timing, for my timing is perfect. Just because I created the entire universe in only six days, everyone thinks it should always rush, rush, rush. And number nine, be kind. Be kind to others, for I love them as just as much as I love you. They may not dress like you, or talk like you, or live in the same way you do, but I still love you all. Please try to get along. For my sake, I created each of you different in some way. 
It would be too boring if you were all identical. Please know I love each of your differences. And number 10, love yourself. As much as I love you, how can you not love yourself? You were created by me to be loved and to love in return. I am God of love. Love me, love your neighbors, but also love yourself. It makes my heart ache when I see you so angry with yourself when things go wrong. You are very precious to me. Don't ever forget that. With all my heart, I love you, God. You know, so that does bring us into our episode today. I hope you enjoyed it. And my closing prayer as always is that God blesses the journey you're on with him and that you embrace that path. So next week's episode is going to be on Let God Tell You What to Give. Hey, you can get me at PositiveLightPodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Anywhere you download your podcast, you can get Positive Light. Hope everybody had a great week. God bless. We'll catch you next week.